Good morning. How's everyone doing today? I want you to all answer individually. Just kidding. Uh, glad to see you today. I'll uh, just welcome you here this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today to have the opportunity to, to bring God's word to you. And I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. Let's pray together. Father God, we're just so thankful for you. We're thankful for the blessings that you give us each and every day of our life, God. So many things that, that we are blessed with, God, that we are so undeserving of. And we know that's because you have such an amazing heart, God, that your love and your grace abounds greater than anything, Lord, anything that we will ever deserve, God. And we just sometimes take it for granted, God. And I pray that today we will just look at your heart, Lord, look at how much you love us and see that you are, you are truly our king, you are our creator, and you are the one that we can always go to in our lives. God, we love you. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Got a little technology this time, so um, follow, uh, follow the pastor's footsteps. We'll begin in the book of Titus, and we're going to read through the... Just kidding. <laughs> so, I told him I'd make that joke before, before he left, so um, we're gl- glad to be here. Um, I haven't used this before. We're going to see what happens. Luke, I don't know. Is this thing on? Oh, maybe smash the right button. I was just trying to blind Lucas with the laser. So, um, so we're going to talk about um, God's grace. But I want to start off with a story. Um, I believe I was five or six years old when I first ran away from home. Anybody ever run away from home? Everybody's probably run away from home at once. So I ran away um, five or six. These are my traveling companions. Uh, my rabbit, okay? That's not the exact rabbit. Mine had like a western hat and a little gun and a carrot. And so he was very protective of me. And then, of course, I had the big wheel. Who had a big wheel? Greatest mode of transportation ever and only weighed about 3.5 pounds. So it was great for any kids. So anyway, uh, I I left my house. I'm sure there was some major reason I had to leave my house. I probably, you know, didn't get the right Star Wars figure that day or mom didn't give me a piece of cake, something like that. So I was leaving. So I took off, went about 100 yards down the road, and I noticed uh, nobody was running after me. Nobody was coming to save me. No one cared for me anymore. Uh, so I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I certainly wasn't going to turn around because I wasn't going to show them that, you know, I couldn't live off the land and hunt my own food. And, you know, I probably wouldn't eat rabbit because that would be offensive to my companion. But I would have to have something to, to keep me going, to keep me going. So uh, I'm sitting there kind of, you know, worried. I'm not going to show my mom and dad that, that I'm going to turn around. And then all of a sudden, I hear this voice are you going to let him go? He's too little. Don't let him go. It's the voice of my brother, <laughs> my wonderful brother, Brett. So I hear this voice, and I hear, here's my out. I've got an out. So I sit there, kind of start pedaling a little slowly, and I hear his footsteps running up to me, and all of a sudden he catches up with me, and I've got my out. You know, of course, I, I've got to go back. My big brother's pulling me back to the house. So I saved face, and, but I went back. But brothers are good. Would you agree? All right, now, probably 10 years down the road, my brother probably wished that he would just let me go because I am the younger brother. I annoyed him quite a bit, you know, and for some reason I got away with everything, probably because I'm the middle kid. So um, to just say that, we're going to talk about brothers today. We're actually going to talk about one brother, and particularly um, a younger brother. And y'all heard the story of the prodigal son. Everybody's familiar with that. But we're going to spend actually two weeks, so this week we're going to kind of focus on the first one. Um, this younger brother wasn't exactly the, 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 you know, picture of the greatest brother. You know, he did think he cared about himself, it seems like, very, 
very um, into his own desires and all those things, took his dad's money and took off. But then we're going to look at the dad, the dad, uh, an awesome dad, an amazing dad, and a dad that loved and gave his son whatever he needed. And uh, we're going to look at that. So um, growing up, this word prodigal, I always thought it meant a runaway. Okay, anybody ever felt the same thing? You know, because when you hear the story of prodigal son, you hear this kid runs away and comes back. So I just thought runaway. So I looked up the, the definition in a book I was reading. This is what it says, prodigal, reckless, extravagant, having spent everything. Okay, so when we look at the prodigal son, does this, does this sum him up? Yeah, he went off to a far country. He spent all the money that his dad gave him, and he wasted it on all kinds of things, things that we don't even talk about in church, things that, that, we didn't have to, that he didn't have to have, but these are his desires and his needs. I want to read this verse as we go on, this is the beginning, and it says, sorry, part. Um, this is Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. All right, so how many people go to their dad and say, um, I want all the things uh, that will come to me when you die? I don't think we usually do that. It's not really a thing. This kid, this guy wasn't just asking for, for his allowance. You know, Dad, can I get 20 bucks? Or he wasn't even asking for an advance on maybe a year's worth of allowance. You know, Dad, can I get a, a few hundred bucks? He was asking for everything. And basically, you know, what he was saying to his dad was, Dad, I wish you were dead. Have you ever thought about that? You know, basically an inheritance, you know, before you get an inheritance, a major event happens. That event is somebody dies, right? Somebody usually dies before you get an inheritance. So basically what this young man was saying to his dad was, Dad, I don't really care about you. I just care about your things. Give me your things and let me take those things. And the boy took those things and he took them and he sold all the things and he probably got cash for them and then he took off to this far off country. And, and this wasn't something that just any man would do. And this guy, um, to be honest, probably was pretty nice, pretty, pretty lenient on this kid. This is what um, Thomas, I mean, actually Tim Keller would say. He said a traditional Middle Eastern father would be expected to respond to such a request by driving his son out of the family with nothing except physical blows. All right, so think about it. You know, I think about my dad. If you know my dad, my dad's a pretty awesome guy. I'm very blessed with my dad. He's a pretty big guy. He's a little smaller now because he's getting older. At least that's what I tell him. And, um, you know, but he's caring. He's intelligent. He's loving. He'll do anything for me. But I think if I said something like this, I probably wouldn't be standing here before you like I am now. You know, he'd probably throw me across the room, and then I would realize my mistakes, and I would get up and do the right thing. Um, and that's, that's just, you know, it's disrespectful. And that's not the way that we're, you know, we're supposed to treat our fathers. But this father, for whatever reason, decided... You know, I'm going to let my, let my child have this. I'm going to give him what he, what he desires and let him go. You know, is this the best, this best plan for this father? I don't know. This is a story Jesus said, so we're going with it right now. Um, so here the father, this is what I wrote, here the father gives freely of what his son would inherit. The father is happy for his son to share in his riches. However, the son was glad to have his father's things, but wasn't too concerned about actually being with his father. This is kind of a sad thing. You know, it really is a sad testament. You know, I love my father. I want to be with my father all the time. You know, I don't care about any of his stuff as long as he's here with me. And I, I think most everybody, I hopefully would agree, who has, who has had an awesome relationship with their father. 
Um, you know, I've met people that have, you know, my wife, for one, I'll just give an example. She, she, she's a product of divorce, so she doesn't have quite the same relationship as I do with my father, you know? So it's hard for some people to grasp that, to grasp that God is a father that loves us and wants to do so many things for us. So it's hard for some people to grasp that. And, and I think that's, that's something we have to work with in our, in our own hearts, with whatever relationships we have in our life. But this father here wants to provide, wants to give, wants to love and do everything he can for his son. The younger brother, this is another quote here, the younger brother then is asking for his father, not just to give him everything, but to tear his life apart. And the father does so for the love of his son. The father patiently endures a tremendous loss of honor as well as the pain of rejecting love. Now I want you to think about that. Middle Eastern culture, um, a father, a wealthy father, owns probably a lot of property, has a lot of servants. And this. How, does, how do you think he looks in that community when he just hands over that to his son? You know, he looks, he looks weak, right? He looks weak. He doesn't look like um, the man that he should be in his community. But he does this out of love. He does this because he wants to... He wants to give his son what he desires. Let's move on to the next part. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. All right, so now a bit of time's gone by. He's been there probably for a while. You know, it took him a while to blow through all that money, and now he's he needs, he needs work. He's starving to death, basically. He knows there's no way out except for me to work and try to live through this. And this is, so now a bit of time's gone by. He finds himself at the lowest possible place that he could ever expected. No money, no family or friends, and literally he's starving to death. No one around him to save him from the choices that he's made. And so this is just a little picture, but this is his life. He, he's stuck and he has nowhere to go. What can he do? You know, so he, he kind of comes up with a little plan, but we're going to see, see this feeding pigs. If you think about uh, a Jewish man, this is from uh, uh, Dr. Constable's notes. says, feeding pigs was, of course, unclean work for a Jew and a job that any self-respecting Jew would only do out of total desperation. However, the younger son was willing to do this because he, his need had become so great. The son had sunk so low that no one showed him any compassion. You know, many of the listeners that saw this they, they equated this with, with sin. You know, a sinner will do whatever they can. They'll go as, go as low as they can and keep trying to do it on their own, do it on their own, make it through their, their life, no matter what happens, without reaching out for help. You know, I can think about my life and the sin in my life when I thought I had it under control, that I can take care of this, that, yeah, I'll do this one time, then I'll never do it again. But it doesn't work that way. We keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper into that sin until we ask for help, Right? And that help only comes from one place. The son's going to realize that. And he's going to realize that um, he is a sinner, that he is unclean, and that he needs something. And that something is his father. He thinks about, you know, where could I go? Why am I living here where I am? Why can't I go back to where I was and how it was before? And he wants to mend that relationship. Or does he? So let's think about this. Uh, Next verse. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So when you look at this, you can think two ways. 
One way, the son realizes that I need to repent. I need to turn away from, from what I'm doing. I need to go back to my father. Another way, it's kind of a plan, right? What's happened to him? He's starving to death. If you're starving, you're going to do whatever you can to get yourself fed, to, to make yourself um, healthy again. And so we have to think about this. How many times we find ourselves trying to do something our own way and find that it is all going down the drain? This is what the younger son finds. He thought he had it all figured out, but he knows that he needs help. And so it's kind of like a little plan. And I think I wrote this. Barnes wrote, and this is another kind of take on this. It says, at this point in the story, the son has reached absolute bottom. He is filthy, he reeks, he's starving, and he has no hope of any prospects. The boy then comes to himself and realizes that his father's hired servants were far better than, off than he was. So he knows. He knows immediately, I've got a better place to go. And the boy's coming to his senses demonstrates the first intelligent thought he has had in a long train of stupid behavior. However, his motivation is anything but pure. Hunger was his motivation, and the hired servant position was his focus, not the father. The father was merely the geographical location for the position he wanted. He essentially had no other place to go. And, and we come to that point in our lives. This is an example just like us where, where we have no other place to go. And sometimes we, we look for this or that to make things happen, to make things right in our lives. But in the end, we find that, that it's God. It's God the Father that we have to go to. We have to look for him, look to him to help us make the right decisions and to meet our needs. Oh, i trying to think of what I put next. Um, so the question, is the son repentant or is he just hungry? You know, what do you think? No matter what the reason is, he knows that he needs the Father. No matter what it is, you know, God is going to take care of that hunger, but God is also going to take care of that sin. And that's what he comes to realize. How many times do we have the same feeling? We know we're in trouble. We know we're lost. We know that we have no hope on our own, but we try to find a way out. The only answer is that there is only one place, and that is the Father. And the amazing thing about that is that, to be honest, I don't think God really cares if we're hungry or if we're lost. All he cares about is that we go to him. All he cares about is that we, we, we come to him and allow him to meet our needs. That's the kind of father we have. We start to see God's heart here. We start to see the father's heart here. And it says here, and he arose, oops, my bad, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So off in the distance, the father sees him and he runs to him. Now, this is something that, that Jewish men don't do. Jewish men are, are supposed to be proud, and, and they walk, and they don't show their legs and different things like that. But when he takes off, he has to lift up that, that tunic, that robe, and he takes off for his son. And that's the example of a father's love. A true father's love is that he's going to go to his, his son no matter what and reach him no matter where he is. Rejected. All right, so think about this. If you were the son, you're taken off, and then you come back to this community, how do you think people are going to treat you? This is what it's going to be. They're going to reject you. You know, they're going to see you did this and that against your father's will. You took this money. You took off, and you squandered it on this. You know, why should we let you back into, this, into the fold? Why should we just let you back into our, into our good graces? Kenneth Bailey, author of The Cross and the Prodigal, this is a little long, but I'm going to read it, explains that if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among Gentiles, 
and then return home, the community would perform a ceremony called, excuse my pronunciation, Kazaza. They would break a large pot in front of him and yell, you are now cut off from your people, and the community would totally reject him. So this is what he was expecting when he was coming home. You know, he was hoping that he would have a little job, he would have a little, you know, he'd have food, and at least he would survive. He was coming and knowing that that's what he was getting. That was it. But it goes on. So why did the father run? He probably ran in order to get his son before he entered the village. The father runs, he shames himself in an effort to get his son before the community gets to him so that his son does not experience the shame and humiliation of their taunting and rejection. The village would have followed the running father, would have witnessed what took place at the edge of the village between father and son. After this emotional reuniting of the prodigal son with his father, it was clear that there would be no Keziah ceremony. There would be no rejection of the son. Despite what he had done, the son had repented and returned to the father. The father had taken the full shame that would have fallen upon his son and clearly shown the entire community that his son was welcomed back home. So, and in the presence of his father, and I want you to think about this in the context of God, in the presence of the father, you know, two things happen here. You know, his sin is confessed and forgiveness is shown, grace is shown to the son. These two things happen immediately. Did the son think these things are gonna happen? No, he was, he was just hoping for, for just a meal. But the father showed him compassion and love. He showed him that nobody could reject him because you're in my arms now. He's the master of this area. He's the master of the house, and he would protect him. So the younger son gets home and has the opportunity to even confess. He didn't even get the chance to confess. He starts to say it, and the father just cuts him off, which is pretty awesome. Let's look at the last part. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So having experienced God's lavish love, having experienced this, the prodigal, you know, his speech, basically all these things he had planned to say just melt away in the father's presence. You know, and I can think of it in my life, you know, when I've been overcome with emotion of, of, of being far, in a far off country, being away from God, you know, listening to my own ways, trying to do things the way that I want to. And when I finally allow God to take over, you know, the rush of relief that God gives you, that calmness, that assurance, like what Tammy said at the beginning, that quickening of your heart. You know when God is speaking to you. You know when you've been forgiven. You know when you've been repentant. And God just wants us to do that. He just wants us to lay it all out no matter what it is, and he's going to take it back. That's how wonderful his grace is, how amazing God's grace is, as, as we just sang. You know, he's going to take over no matter what and love us. So think about it. When the, when, the, when the son left, he left to get all these things, to have all these things happen in his life. My time's up. Just kidding. Is that me, Deacon? I hope not. All right, it says here, everything, I think I put this on there, everything the younger son had hoped to find in the far country, he discovered back home. Clothes, jewelry, friends, joyful celebration, love and assurance for the future. What made the difference? Instead of saying, Father, forgive me, he said, Father, make me. He was willing to be a servant. That's a very awesome quote there. Not just Father, forgive me, but Father, make me. 
make me who you want to be. Transform my life. You know, you know, a true, you know, I have kids upstairs, youth always ask me, you know, what makes a Christian? How do you know somebody's a Christian? You know, God makes them that way. You know, they change. There's a change in their heart. There's a change in the way they live. And that's what God wants to see in our life. The son had willfully become lost and was determined to leave his father forever. He was dead and lost, but now he had a new life and was found. This is the example for all of us. We all have this story in our life. We all have this time in our life where we've been away from God. You know, from the time we're born, it's all about us, right? It's all about me. What can I eat? Just like this guy. What can I drink? What can I do? But God makes our lives about so much more. He makes it about others, which is the greatest, most amazing part of your life. And serving him is an amazing thing because he always provides. No matter what you go through, he always provides. So my original thoughts on this sermon, and I, I heard this, I think Dow played a video with the prodigals, the father talking, I think it was this little poetry thing. But one thing it said was talking about, you know, his nobility knew no love. And this, this just quote, this just came to me, there is no nobility in love. You know, think of God. How noble is God? He's the king of the universe, right? There's no bigger king, there's no more noble person than God. Yet he throws everything away for us. I wrote here, I think of the love and all the things that God goes through for us every day. How I say the wrong thing or hurt someone's feelings or act like it's nothing. While all along I'm breaking his commandments and falling short of what he expects of me. God, who is the epitome of love, is also the very example of true nobility. However, when we look at how God loves, we see that his love takes him as far away from his noble position as possible. And when we look again at this definition, think of that definition of the prodigal, reckless spending, giving away everything, spending his last dime, extravagant, having spent everything. We have two ways to look at that. One way is the way of, of the prodigal son. He spent everything, he wasted all kinds of things on, on his lust and desires of this world. And, and that was prodigal, that was prodigal. It was reckless. But think about God. He is also a prodigal when it comes to us. He spends everything on us. He allowed his son to die on a cross because of us. How many in this room would give up their child for anybody in this room? You know, I dare to say none of us. But God is so extravagant, so lavish in his love for us, that he, he tries to save every one of us through any means possible. Scripture tells us a few things. I had to put a Titus verse in here. Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That, that salvation, that grace, appeared in our world through Jesus Christ. God, God sent his son to die for each and every one of us. And we have that. And that's the greatest example of God's love. And then the next one, uh, many of you know this verse, this is the first part, but for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. God's reckless love, God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. I hope you know that today. I hope you understand that no matter what you're going through, no matter how tough things are in your life, that God does have an answer, that God does have a way for you. But that first way is by accepting him and loving him and knowing the true gospel through Jesus Christ.
the prodigal son. He spent everything. Eventually, he came to his senses, it says, and he came back to the Father. And I pray that no matter what you're going through today, no matter what your life is like, that you will always go back to the Father. He is always there with open arms, and he doesn't just stand there, but he runs to us because he loves us that much. Let's pray.